Lord, I need you. You know how desperately I need you. Just fill me with love for you, love for the flock here, love for your word. Lord, give me wisdom. Give us wisdom as we study this passage this morning. It's an amazing passage. Lord, we, some of us are pursuing prayer for the sick. Many of us are not comfortable. We've seen weird models that we've like, oh, we don't want to become like that. Help us to understand what you are saying in this text, I pray, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As I was thinking about the topic for this morning, it struck me, a little different direction at first to go in, but it's really a sobering thing. Have you ever stopped and just thought about the fact that you are going to be existing consciously forever? You ever thought about that? Just like take five minutes sometime. That a million billion years from now, you will be there, conscious, alive. It's an amazing thing. It's sobering. And it's even more sobering when we stop and understand what the Bible says, that because we've all rebelled against God, what we all face is eternal suffering. That is a terrifying thought. And it should just capture us about our neighbors and work associates. And so because of that, in great love, in an overflow of goodness, God sent Jesus 2,000 years ago. And God the Father did what to us is unthinkable. He punished his son Jesus on the cross with the punishment that we deserve. So that when you own up to the truth of Jesus as the Son of God and bend your knee in surrender to him, trusting him, at that moment, everything changes. You're forgiven for all your sin. All the punishment that you deserved for eternity was poured out upon Jesus on the cross. And you look ahead to an eternity, not of eternal suffering, but of eternal love and joy and fullness of heart and beholding God revealed in his son Jesus forever. So what all that means is that our main concern for people, our our most important concern for people is for people's eternal suffering. We should weep over the lost and care. And so we're, we're passionate to see people coming to know Jesus, coming to faith, and to helping build each other up in our faith because each other's eternal suffering is what we want to help each other avoid. Right? This is our main concern. But, according to the scriptures, it's not our only concern. We also, for example, should be concerned about each other's physical sufferings, sickness. God calls us, even though our main concern is each other's eternal destiny, the prospect of the possibility of eternal suffering, God also calls us to care about each other's physical suffering, to care for the sick to care for each other when we're, when we're sick, and to do something about it. And that's what James talks about in our next passage in James. In this passage, God, through James, calls us to care about each other when we're sick, and he tells us what we should do. So let's turn there. It's James chapter 5, verses 15 through 14. And if you need a Bible, like we always say, go ahead and raise your hand. We want you to have a Bible in front of you so you can study this passage with us. Not an easy passage. And um, I'm going to try to explain it as best I can and chart a course for us to pursue what it's going to mean for us at Mercy Hill Church to pray for the sick. It's page 1013, by the way, in the Bibles we just passed out. Now, before we look at this passage, though, don't, don't, don't peek. Ask yourself this question. What do you usually do 
when you're sick, for example? What, what, what's the first thing you do? You wake up and it's like, oh no, the sore throat again. What, what, what do you do? Reach for the airborne, right? Uh, vitamin C, call the doctor, right? And, and nothing's wrong with any of those. Those are good things to do. But if that's all we do, then we're neglecting what James tells us to do. Or think about what do you usually do when a friend of yours tells you that they're sick? What do you do? Feel concern? Tell them, you know, your, your cure du jour, whatever it might be, you know, your echinacea, nasty tasting stuff anyway. Um, or maybe just say, you know, I'll pray for you, and then they, they go their way and you say you'll pray for them. That's all okay. But if that's all we do, then we're not doing what James tells us to do in this passage. Look at what James tells us to do. James five fourteen through 18. He says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. So as I studied these verses, I, I thought the best way to, to preach on this was just to go through kind of six truths that I see James giving us in this passage. Six of them, just one at a time, show you where they are in the passage. So the first one I saw is just simply this. When you're sick, have others pray for you. Okay, that's what, that's what James wants you to do. Either the elders or anybody else in the body of Christ. Okay, and I see that, you can see that in verse 14. He says, call for the elders of the church to come pray. But notice that in verse 16, James also talks about how we should confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so that we can be healed. So it's not just the elders who pray, it's anyone in the body of Christ. James envisions all of us praying for each other. Okay, so when do you call for the elders? When do you make that call? And a lot of commentators point something out that I, I think, they're, I think they're, they're right. And that is, notice it's to call you, if you're sick, you call for the elders of the church, and they're coming to you. So the picture that these commentators see going on here is that you are, you're, you're, you're in bed, you're bedridden, right? You, you're not able to get out. They've got to come to you. And then the Lord will raise you up off of your, your sick bed. So the principle that I think is probably going on here is that the more serious your sickness, the more you want to call the elders. If you can't get out, have the elders come to you. But if you can get to home group, for example, then ask your home group, people in your home group, to pray for you. But again, the picture of church life here, normal church life in the New Testament, you'd see believers praying for each other's healing all the time. Every sick person would get prayed for by the elders or by other people in the body of Christ. That's normal church life. But I think in many sections, segments of the church, we've lost that. But James calls us to it right here. A part of normal church life is praying for each other. So when you're sick, 
Have somebody else pray for you. I mean, think, I'll bet, I'll bet most all of you, the last time you had a cold, you did not ask somebody to pray for you. Did you? Well, it's just a cold. What did he say? Unless it's a cold. I didn't see that anywhere, okay? But see, think, there's something in our thinking that's not right then if we don't, as one of the things that we do, ask somebody to pray for us. So we need to get that in our flow, in our rhythm, in our thinking, so that becomes more of the the normal warp and woof of our lives. Second truth. Anointing with oil is encouraged, probably as a sign of God's favor upon the person, but it's not an essential New Testament practice. Look at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now the reason I say that this isn't essential is because while it's mentioned here, there's lots of healings, supernatural healings in the New Testament where anointing with oil is not prescribed. But here it's mentioned, I think it's mentioned in one other place as well, in Mark, I think it's chapter 6. But James does encourage it. And so we should consider it. And I think what it means is, it's like in the Old Testament, anointing someone with oil was a picture of God's favor coming upon them. It was a, a symbol of God's favor. And so if you call the elders to come and pray for you, we will come and pray, and we will anoint you with oil, and part of it is because as we're praying, God's favor as we're praying will come upon you, and the oil symbolizes that God's favor, God's goodness, God's power, God's work is coming upon you. Okay, so that's, that's the function of anointing with oil. Third truth. Sometimes when we pray, you're praying for the sick person, God will give you a supernatural certainty that he is going to heal this person. Okay, that, that's the spiritual gift of faith. You're praying, God will give this supernatural certainty that he's going to heal this person. That's the gift of faith. And then as you pray with that supernatural certainty, that's the prayer of faith. Paul talks about that in verse 15. He says, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Okay, so there's this special prayer of faith James mentions. And whenever somebody prays this prayer of faith, the person they're praying for will be healed. You see that there? It's right there. Now what does that mean? It's a little controversial verse here, okay? Here's what I think it means. Uh, First of all, let me tell you what some other people think it means, okay? Some people think what this means is that whenever we pray for the sick, we should try very hard to have faith that God will heal them. And that if we can muster enough enough faith that God will heal them, then he'll heal them. Now that's what we're supposed to do every time we pray. I don't think that's what James is talking about here. I, I don't see that in the scriptures. And one of the main reasons is I don't think the scriptures give us warrants for believing that every time we pray for somebody to be sick, they're going to be healed. I don't see that in the scriptures. I think I mentioned this last week, but one of the more clear examples of that is Paul's thorn in the flesh. Remember 2 Corinthians 12? You should read this. It's an important passage to to study and to learn. Paul had this thorn in the flesh. Not sure what it was, but it was a terribly grievous affliction that Paul desperately wanted to be freed from. Might have been eye trouble. We know he had eye troubles, sight troubles. Anyway, we weren't exactly sure, but some affliction that he had. And three times, 
Paul says in that passage. He prayed, and the Greek word for prayer here is an earnest prayer. It's an unusual word for prayer. So three times he's crying out to God, Father, free me from this. I'm coming to you in Jesus' name. Heal me of this. Three times Paul prayed. And, and, and God, in his love, and his wisdom, and his goodness, said, No, Paul. I've got something even better for you. In this affliction, I'm going to give you such an experience of Jesus' grace and presence that it'll be worth it all. And Paul says, therefore, I am content. I'm boasting in my afflictions because I have more of Jesus through this. So the point is, here's an instance where an apostle prays for healing three times earnestly for himself and and God in love says no. So I don't think we have warrant for believing that every time we pray for somebody to be sick, they're going to be healed. Not be healed right now. You do know, don't you, that every one of our sicknesses will be healed either now or in glory. Oh, this is good news, okay? For some of you, it's, it's sweet news to know that. Your afflictions are temporary. Temporary. Eternity is coming where he will heal every sickness. Okay, we know that, right? But not necessarily now as we pray for you. So, I don't think the prayer of faith means that I try to muster up faith so I get, I'm really believing God's going to heal, God's going to heal, God's going to heal. And if I can believe that enough when I pray for them, then God will heal. I don't think that's what's going on here. What I think is going on here is what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 12, 9. Let me, let me just back up a, a little section. There's two kinds of faith described in the Bible. There's saving faith, first of all, which we are all commanded to have. Um, We're saved by faith alone. We are sanctified by faith alone. We live by faith. We trust Jesus as our Lord, our Savior, our heart-satisfying treasure. That's saving faith. We're all called to have it. That's crucial. It's the only way to be saved. There's another kind of faith on the scriptures. It's called the gift of faith, 1 Corinthians 12.9. It's a gift of faith, a spiritual gift. This is not something we are all commanded to have. This is not something that's given to every single person. You're not saved by this. Okay? But what it is, is there will be times when you're praying, Father, heal this person. And God gives you an unexplainable certainty. You know He's going to heal this person. You're not trying to work it up. You're not trying to be optimistic or positive. Or He just gives it to you as a gift. You know. He's going to heal this person. It's a gift of faith. And then as you pray with that gift of faith, God will always heal them when he does it. Now, the gift of faith, I, I, I've, talked to, I've been in settings where people out of compassion, I think, not out of a spiritual gift, but out of compassion, they, they say, God's going to heal you. Don't do that. It's not helpful. Uh, and even if he gives you a gift of faith, I might just like just, just kind of nurture that to yourself and then pray for them and see what God does, okay? It's important. So don't let compassion make you say things you shouldn't. And, and just because we just want to help the person trust the Lord. And Anyway, that's a little different, different point there. But So here, here's, here's what... Let me give you an example. Let, let's say that somebody in your home group... That's not where I'm going now. Okay. I want to tell you a little story. I remember, I tried to give an example. I can remember one time I experienced this. Um, we were praying for a young man with a very swollen ankle. I mean, it was, it was really swollen. There was a group of us praying for him. 
And uh, we're, we're laying hands on him, praying, uh, you know, Father, in Jesus' name, heal this ankle right now, we pray. And all of a sudden, it's like I described, I, I knew God was going to heal him. I went from not knowing what God was going to do to knowing what God was going to do. It's like, boom, boom. It's not like, oh, I hope I, I'm, I'm going to try it. Just boom, boom. I knew. And as we prayed, we all had the astonishing experience of watching this swollen ankle just shrink. It was an amazing thing. I haven't experienced that a lot, but I experienced it then. And that's what, that's what Paul's talking, that's what James is talking about here in terms of, of this prayer of faith. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now, fourth truth though, we don't wait for this gift of faith to come before we pray. Say, so, okay, I'm not, I shouldn't pray then until I have this certainty. No. Okay, we don't wait for this gift of faith before we pray. We go ahead and pray. Trusting that Jesus will give whatever spiritual gifts he wants us to have to help this person. So you could conclude from this gift of faith thing that you shouldn't pray unless God gives you certainty. But that, that's, that's not what James is saying here. Notice, he doesn't say, have the elders pray for you if they have the prayer of faith. He just says, have the elders pray. He doesn't say, have your brothers and sisters pray for you if they have the gift of faith or the prayer of faith. He says, pray for each other. So let's say somebody in your home group has migraines. And you, you, you start to pray for them. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we ask that you to heal our brother here, our sister here. Now there's one of three things that could happen. Okay, I want to make sure you get this. This is really important. One thing that could happen is as you're praying, as I already described, God could give you this certainty that he is going to heal this person and as you pray, the migraine just goes away. <laughs> it's gone. I'm healed. So that's one thing that could happen. You're praying, God gives you this supernatural certainty that he's going to heal and the person gets healed. That's one thing that could happen. Okay, a second thing that could happen. You're praying... And you don't get any gift of faith. You don't know what God's going to do. But you're praying in obedience to James 5, Father, we come to you. Heal this person for the glory of your name and for their good. Heal them. And even though you don't have any confidence about what God's going to do, the person gets healed. So write this down. God can heal people without your gift of faith. Don't let your weakness of faith keep you from praying. Okay? I mean, in fact, the guy with the ankle... When I saw him take off his ace bandage at first, my face just went, it's like, oh boy, this is either going to be really, anyway. So don't let your lack of faith or your lack of expectation keep you from praying. It's not about you and your faith. It's about God and his faithfulness and his promises. You can pray, I believe, help my unbelief, and God is smiling. So God can heal people without your supernatural gift of faith. So pray anyway. So that's the second thing that could happen. You don't get any gift of faith, but God heals them anyway. Third thing that could happen is you don't get any gift of faith, you're praying for their healing, and God chooses not to heal them, but he will bring goodness to them, encouragement to them, strengthening to them, comfort to them anyway, in powerful ways. So those are three different ways this could happen play out. Now, I told Lisa before the service I was going to share this one example because this is one of my sweetest memories about praying. Um, we were at the Strauss's house. It was home group, wasn't it? A couple years ago, Lisa had severe back pain and we gathered around to pray for her. 
I don't think anybody got a gift of faith that night, but we prayed. God did not heal her back, but as she's shared, God so poured, he poured his love into your heart more than I think you'd ever experienced. Is that accurate? Okay. And so it was a good, it was a good, good evening. So those are the three ways it can go. Gift of faith with healing. First one. No gift of faith with healing. Second one. No gift of faith. Something better than healing. Third one. Those are the options. So the only way you lose in this thing is by not praying. Right? No matter how weak you feel, no matter how... That's the only way you can lose. Okay. Fifth. This whole confessing sin thing. Boy, I labored over how to explain this or what, what James is saying. See, see how this sounds. When we are sick, it's important to confess any unconfessed sin because your sickness might be caused by your sin. But not every sickness is caused by sin. Okay, look at verses 15 and 16. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, first of all, don't get the idea that you need to confess your sins to some person in order to be forgiven. Okay, many Catholic background folks believe that, and it's, it's, a, a, it's a terribly destructive teaching. Don't, don't, it's not what the Bible teaches. You do not need to confess your sins to any person to be forgiven. The only thing you need to do to be forgiven is to confess your sins to Jesus, to turn back to him. So if you have some area of unconfessed, unrepented sin, some area you've been holding back from Jesus, willful rebellion, and you want to be forgiven, you don't need to confess to anybody else. Just, just talk to Jesus about it. And you're forgiven through the cross immediately, instantly, okay? Are we clear on that? Now, having said that, what's going on here? Okay, James is describing a situation in which someone has unconfessed, unrepented sin. They're, they're holding to some willful sin. And sometimes, when we have that in our lives, God, in his loving discipline, will allow sickness to come to us. Okay, remember in 1 Corinthians 11, People in that church were abusing communion. And Paul talks about how some of you therefore have become sick and some of you have died. Remember that passage? Whew. So unconfessed sin can sometimes result in physical sickness. But don't conclude from that that all sickness is caused by some sin. That's not true. It's not the case that all sickness is caused by sin. John 9, 1 through 3. Remember that passage? Uh, the disciples bring a blind man, a man who'd been blind from birth to Jesus. And you can kind of get a feel of what their worldview was. They said, well, who sinned that he's blind? Was it him or his parents? So you see where the disciples were at. They're thinking sickness caused by sin. Sickness caused by sin. So Jesus, who was it that sinned then? Him or his parents? Remember Jesus' answer? Neither. This sickness is for the glory of God. Whoa, that would have just sent them reeling because they had this equation in their mind that all sickness is caused by sin. So some sickness is caused by sin, but lots of sickness is not caused by sin. Okay, are we clear on that point? This is really important, okay? But some is. All right, so 
what should you do then if you are sick and want prayer for healing? What you do is you gather some brothers and sisters around you. Okay? And if you have unconfessed sin, and you'll know it, it's un- unconfessed, willful, an area of your life you've held away from Christ, it's wrong, you know it. If you have that, then as you move into prayer, the first thing you should do would be to confess your sin before Jesus. Confess it to Jesus. And your brothers and sisters will be there and they'll hear that. And because you're confessing to Jesus and his death on the cross, okay, you're, you're, you're all covered. You're, you're forgiven. And you don't need to go into a lot of detail. Okay? Jealousy. Jesus, forgive me. Greed. I'm sorry. You don't need a lot of detail. He knows. Okay? But you, you, you start there, and, and in that way, your brothers and sisters are hearing you. So you start by confessing your sin. Your brothers and sisters are, are there, and then they can pray for your healing, and because you've confessed that sin, if that was the cause, you don't know if it was or wasn't, but that'll open the door for God to heal if that's his will. Does that make sense? Okay, any, any questions about that right there? Because I know this is a little... I want to make sure we're, we're, we're kind of walking our way along this passage here, and there's, there's ways we could get messed up on either side. So does that make sense? Any Yeah, I don't think that's what James has in mind here, okay? That's right, I was going to mention that. So you could think, you know, you drink too much, you're going to have liver problems, right? That, yes. But that's, James here is talking about a time where, because of your unrepented sin, God in his love for you allows some sickness to come. It's not like, a, like you know, alcohol, liver, that kind of thing, okay? So th- that's different. Do you see the difference? So that's what James is talking about here. And so then you, you just come and you confess your sin, before the Lord, your brothers and sisters are there. You don't need to go into a lot of detail. And then they pray for your healing. And because you've confessed, if that was discipline, the door's open then for the Lord to heal you, if that's his will. It may or may not be. So don't miss this picture of, of church life. We're confessing our sins to the Lord before each other. Or that's important. And again, you don't need to dig deep saying, gosh, I wonder, is there some sin? Listen, you will know what it is. Okay? It's not like you've got to dig out some sin to find. Is there some sin I'm not aware of? You'll know. You know, don't you? You know. If there's unconfessed sin, you know. It's very clear. Okay? So if you, don't, if you aren't sure, then there probably isn't any. All right. So normal church life includes all of us asking each other for prayer, where fitting, confessing our sins before, to the Lord before each other, praying, receiving prayer for healing. Now, at this point, James anticipates a problem that his readers are having in their mind. They're thinking, okay, you're talking about praying like for supernatural things, like supernatural healing. Who am I to pray for a supernatural healing, right? I mean, I, I don't have a, you know, I, I don't blow on people and they fall over and I don't, you know, I don't do all this stuff, you know. I mean, who, just me, little old me, praying for somebody's supernatural healing? I mean, am I really supposed to do that? Isn't it a little bit presumptuous? So here's the sixth point. If we are righteous through trusting Jesus, we can ask for miracles and we'll see God work miracles. This is an amazing next couple verses. Second half of verse 16. James says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. What a promise here. If you're a righteous person... Your every prayer has great power. This is huge. Okay, so am I a righteous person? Right? And 
What it means to be a righteous person. Not that you're perfect, because that wouldn't be anybody then. But it's that you are trusting Jesus Christ, your Lord, your Savior, your heart-satisfying treasure. And because you're trusting him, two things have happened. One is you have been clothed with his perfect righteousness, so you are completely accepted, loved, embraced by God. You've been given his righteousness as a gift. And then secondly, his power is at work in you producing actual righteousness in a growing way. You're covered in his perfect righteousness and you're growing in actual righteousness through trusting Jesus that's a righteous person. And if you're a righteous person, James says your prayer, your every prayer, has great power as it is working. You think, well, what do you mean great power? Like what? Give me an example. James says, I got one. Verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He said, just like us. Elijah was just like you, just like me. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. That's amazing, that's great power. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So what James wants you to understand is, just like Elijah, nature just like yours, just like mine, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Like Elijah, every time you pray in Jesus' name and ask God to work, great power will be released from God into that situation. Great power will come. I mean, this is huge. Most of us do not understand this about our prayer. If we did, we would pray more. I mean, do you realize that you can take five minutes this afternoon and pray earnestly for your neighborhood and great power from God has come into your neighborhood because of you taking five minutes to pray? And if you prayed for 10 minutes, it'd be more. And if you gathered your home group together to pray for your neighborhood for an hour, it'd be even more. And if we really realized the righteous person has, that the prayers of a righteous person have great power, we would turn off the television and we'd pray more. Do you see this? Great power. But see, Satan has won another tactical victory in making us think that, well, our prayers just don't really do much, you know? Oh, we don't see. The prayer of a righteous person has great power, and Elijah having the rain stop and then the rain start is the example. So James wants you to be full of faith. It's not who we are. We're just like Elijah. Elijah was just like us. We're righteous through trusting Jesus, clothed in his perfect righteousness, experiencing his work, bringing about actual righteousness in us. We're righteous through faith in Christ. And whenever we pray, great power is released. So, James wants to encourage you. Somebody's sick, pray for them. Pray for them to be healed. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, heal this person. Help this person. Bring your power upon this person right now. And every time you pray, God's power will come and do something. See, the kind of prayer James is envisioning here, sometimes we pray for people at a distance. Lord, Lord, heal this person who's over there you know, in Blossom Valley. And that's a good thing to do. We're here, wherever we are, they're over there. We pray for them. That's not a bad thing to do. But James is talking about something a little different here. They're right in front of you. You're praying for them, and we're asking God to do something supernatural right now. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. We're going to pray now. And every time you pray for somebody, God's going to come and do something. He may heal them. He may choose to do something even better. Okay? He may heal them. Or he may choose to do something even better. 
like I did for Lisa when we prayed for her at home group. Okay, now, what I want to do now, oh good, we got, we got some time. I want us to do this. Like, let's have a lab section, okay? And in, in a second, I, I hope you'll, you'll go along with this. Um, if you're sick, in a second, I'd like you to, to just stand up where you are. And we don't, we're not going to put you on the spot. We want to honor your privacy. But we'll just have some people gather around you right where you are, if you'd let us, and pray for you, okay? And we've got a couple steps that I want to have us take. But here we go. So here, here's how I'd like us to do this. So in a couple seconds, if you're sick, I'm going to ask you to stand. I hope you'll be free to do that. Even if you're brand new, that's okay. We just, we'll keep it all private, no, no grandstanding, anything like that. But if you could just start by sharing briefly what the sickness is. You don't need to go into a lot of detail. In fact, for the sake of time and for the sake of your privacy, just don't. Keep, keep it, you know, just whatever, okay? Keep it, keep it brief. And then move into prayer as a group, okay? You're there. And, and if you have unconfessed sin, confess it to the Lord Jesus before your brothers and sisters, okay? And you don't need to go into a lot of detail, all right? Bitterness towards someone. Jealousy towards someone. Greed. Haven't forgiven this person. Angry at God about something. Whatever it might be. But just keep it brief. But confess to the Lord Jesus. Jesus, forgive me for my jealousy. Thank you for your death on the cross, which has covered all my sins. Forgive me for this, Lord. So do that before your brothers and sisters. And then third, have the group pray for you. So then if you're in the group, then, then at that point, start praying. Okay? Pray, pray for them. And I would encourage you, pray more than one brief prayer, prayers, rather than one long prayer, okay? So lots of people praying many times is a really good way to go. And uh, so just, you're all going to gather around and you're going you're gonna to pray for this person for their, for their healing. And then, as we're done here, uh, pray for healing, pray for comfort, Pray for strength, pray for encouragement, but especially for healing. Okay, don't neglect the healing thing. We're, we're more comfortable praying for those other intangible things. That's probably more in our comfort zone. Do pray for those, but be sure to pray for healing. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you would, you would lower, lower her blood pressure right now. Right now, we ask you. Or in Jesus' name, heal Mark's blood problem right now we pray in Jesus name so you're, you're just asking the Lord humbly you're just asking him just asking him in, in obedience to God's word and then give it time okay don't don't rush through this okay you've got many prayers going on if there's silence let the silence be there that's okay you're there before the Lord he might all of a sudden bring a gift of faith God's gonna do this and then, and then you pray and God will do it he might bring you a scripture to share, to strengthen and encourage this brother or this sister, a gift of the Holy Spirit. He might just bring that to you right then. You can go ahead and share it. He might bring you just like a prophetic word, some kind of revelation to share with them, a way to pray. So give it time. We're just before the Lord. And just be confident. He will bring you whatever giftings he wants to give you for the sake of blessing this brother or sister that you're praying for. So in the, in, as you're giving it time and waiting on the Lord and praying, he'll come. And then you'll sense at some point, somebody take the lead in the group. Okay, you'll sense that, that, that you're, you're finished, at least for that season. Ask the sick person what God is doing. Say, what did the Lord do? 
Right? Because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working, and his great power, as you're there praying, God's great power is going to come upon this person and work. And so you'll hear what God's doing. And maybe you'll stop, maybe you're like done at that point, or maybe you'll pray again. Okay, here's my encouragement. Our main concern, our highest concern for each other is each other's eternal well-being. And that's why each other's faith is the most important concern we have. But, here in James 5, God also calls us to be concerned for each other when we're sick. And the way to do that is to pray for each other. Okay, so I want to just challenge you. Press out of your comfort zone in your home groups. Let's pray for every, every time somebody in our groups is sick, let's pray for them. That's what James envisions here, right? Every time somebody's sick, let's pray for them. Take the time to do that. Smaller group, however it works. Because the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. So Lord, I pray that you would you'd strengthen us in obedience to your word here. That in our home groups, we would regularly be praying for each other. Confessing our sins to each other. Lifting each other up before you and watching your great power work. Lord, do this for the, for the well-being, for the healing, for the encouragement of our brothers and sisters. And for the glory of your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.